0: Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Here we are this morning, Easter 2021. I don't know about you, but as I was uh, getting ready and thinking about this morning, I had all these memories and, and uh, reminders of what this uh, Easter looked like last year. Uh, it was quite different than this. Uh, it was uh, difficult Uh, certainly an Easter that none of us had ever experienced before. Uh, This room was uh, empty except for a handful of people. None of these chairs were here. We had turned this room into sort of a makeshift broadcast studio. Everything was sort of locked down. We were all uh, in our homes and joining from afar and not together. And what a difference this year has been. We did not know what a year was going to hold and church has never been about a building. It's always been about the gathered family of God, and though it looked different for a season, it still looks a little unique in this season. We are still able to gather under the name of Jesus Christ, and it is good that we are able to gather this way. What a joy, what a blessing it is for us to be able to be together this Easter. What an amazing blessing that is. Those of you that are at home and unable to join us in person, we just wanna say that we love you, We can't wait for the day. I know sometimes even in saying that it makes it harder, but we want you to know that you are here with us in spirit. God is with us all together in this place. We are gathered under one name in this way. And this morning, for those of you that are here, we would love to get to have a chance to kind of hang out afterwards. I didn't mention this in the announcements, but after the service, you saw it probably on your way in. There's some donuts and coffee and stuff out on the front lawn. And so we'd love for you to stick around for a few minutes and enjoy that. Those of you at home, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to digitally help you out with that. I could send you an emoji, but I don't think that would do anything um, to help. And so you have full permission to just raid the pantry after this is over and just you know treat yourself, whatever, whatever you need to. We're just so excited to be able to be together uh, in this way. And as we turn our attention to God's word, I would ask that you would uh, take out your Bible and we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We're gonna be in chapter 15 this morning. And if you were with us on Friday, we were gathered on Good Friday and we answered this question, what happened on the cross? What was it that happened on the cross of Jesus? This morning, we are turning our attention from the cross to the resurrection, to the empty tomb. And in doing so, we wanna answer a similar question. We wanna answer this. What happened when Jesus was raised to life? What happened when Jesus walked out of that tomb? To be clear we are talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And this is a core belief for all Christians. Our belief is this, let's make no mistake about it, we believe that Jesus was a real person and he lived a real life and he died a bodily death on a cross. He was buried in a tomb and on the third day he rose bodily from that grave. And he didn't just rise to die again later, He rose to life eternal. We believe, church, that Jesus is alive today. And if Jesus is alive today, that changes everything. It changes everything for you. It changes everything for me. It changes everything for our world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has major implications on our lives today. And so in 1 Corinthians, I'm meeting you in chapter 15, we want to look and we want to see what is it that changed when Jesus was raised to life. That's the title of the sermon this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to maybe grab one on your phone, and we'll also have it on the screen for you, but I'd love for you to see for yourself this morning the truth of God's word that we are talking about. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is a letter written to the church in Corinth, So different place, right? We've been looking at a letter uh, written to the church in Thessalonica. This one's written to the church in Corinth. And Paul, writing to this church, he's addressing some false claims that are being made, both outside the church and, and has worked their way now into the church. What some people are claiming is that there is no resurrection of the dead, that when the dead are dead, they stay dead. Dead don't come back to life. This is the claim. And they are saying that this is it, this is all the life this life has to offer, that once death comes, that is the end of the story. But that's not what the truth of the scriptures teaches, that's not the truth of what God has said. In fact, we believe, as we just said, in a risen savior, and his resurrection matters for us. It matters for the resurrection of all the dead. And so this was the claim that was being made. Look in your Bibles at verse 12, it says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead, right? That's what they're saying. There's no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is the outworking of this claim. Without the resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. But here's the truth, is that if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ has not been raised, raised from the dead, then everything is different than what we believe, what we hold to. If Christ has not been raised from the dead and the resurrection of Jesus never happened, then this would have equally negative implications on our faith today and on our world today. But we know clearly what God's word proclaims. Scan your eyes over to verse 20. This is the truth of scripture. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is what we just sang about. This is what we're here to celebrate this morning. The truth of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. Paul believes and knows that Jesus is alive. The church believed and knew that Jesus is alive and he appeared to many. And because Christ has been raised, there are some implications on our faith. Paul here talks about him in the negative. Like if Christ wasn't raised, then this is how it affects our faith negatively. What I want to do this morning is I want to restate them positively. Because Christ has been raised, we know that to be true. Here's what that means for our faith today. And so there are three truths that we're going to look at. There's more that we could pull out of this, but I just want to focus on three that answer this question, what happened when Christ was raised to life? If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the first one. Because Christ has been raised, our faith is unshakable. Because Christ has been raised our faith is unshakable. Look back at your copy of scripture, look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain and even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he has raised Christ whom He did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. Again, stated in the negatively, if Christ is not raised, then what are we doing here? What is our preaching all about? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith, the very foundation of what we believe in is in vain. It's all a myth. It's a hoax. We've all been duped. Like, what are we doing? What were we just shouting about a minute ago? If, this is, if, if Jesus did not really raise from the dead, then why are we wasting our time here in this place, in this room? Why did we spend all this energy, all this effort over this last year to sort of take things online and to continue to gather and to continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus? Why would we do that if it is a myth? If it's not true, but it is true. And so because it is true, what it means for us today is our faith is unshakable. Christ has been raised. Our faith is unshakable. Because Jesus is alive, we can have a confidence that is unmovable. Now, let's be clear when we're talking about this. This is the truth of God's word. This is the truth of our world. And we don't need a qualifier on that word truth I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, it's becoming more and more common. Don't ever do this, don't ever put my or our or yours in front of the word truth. Truth is truth, doesn't care much what you think about it. So this isn't our truth, this isn't my truth, it's not your truth, this is the truth. The truth is that Jesus is alive. And because that is the truth, regardless of how we feel about it, our faith is unshakable. And one of the questions that you might ask on Easter, and I think it's a good question to ask, is is there evidence to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Like what evidence do we have? It happened so long ago. Can we even trust that it actually happened? And I wanna share some evidences that we put our hope in, that we can be confident of the resurrection of Jesus for a couple reasons. For those of you that believe, I wanna bolster your faith. I wanna encourage you this morning that this is not a blind faith. We don't just believe out of nothing. For those of you in the room that are maybe more of the skeptic, and you're like, did he really though? Like, how do we know that he did? Like, that's pretty fantastical. That doesn't exactly happen all the time. In fact, it hasn't happened since. How do we know? So to the skeptic, what I would say is this. There are several evidences we have. The first is, is that Jesus did actually die. He was a historical person. There's no, like there is more evidence about Jesus being alive than many of the people that we talk about in our history, right? Like there is so much historical data on the person of Jesus. So we believe that he's a real person, but we believe this, that he really died. He died a real death. Some people try and kind of excuse the, the whole thing about explain away the resurrection by saying that he didn't really die. He just kind of passed out on the cross and they sort of misinterpreted what happened for a death. Now, the Roman soldiers who crucified him would be super offended by that. They were really good at their jobs, okay? They all got bonuses that year. They were good at what they did. That's what they, they were professional at this. They actually, on the cross to make sure that Jesus was died, they took a spear and they pierced it under his ribs into his heart and outflowed blood and water, the sign that he had passed away, that he was dead. His heart had stopped beating. He was for sure dead. He was wrapped and he was buried into a tomb. Now, one of the other evidences that we have in this is that that tomb was well-known. It's not some mysterious location kind of off the grid that nobody knew about. We actually know who owned the tomb. It was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. He was a well-known man. And so it was his tomb in which Jesus was laid. That was a known location of the day. More than that, the government had a vested interest to make sure that nothing happened to that tomb. And so they placed a Roman soldiers there to protect and to guard the tomb. More than that, they placed a seal on the stone which was guarding that tomb. And that, that seal, if that was broken, meant great offense before the government. Like they were vested in protecting that. This is a known place, a known location. The government wanted to protect it. But here's the reality of the situation is that the body of Jesus Christ was never found. It was never produced. If you wanna deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would ask you this, then what happened to the body? Many people try and explain it away. The government didn't take it. They had no business. In fact, that would be the opposite of what they wanted to do, right? So for sure, they didn't take it. Because then at that point, they could have easily taken it out and said, look, you think he's alive? He's not, he's dead, here he is. He's very much dead. The disciples, if they would have taken it, I don't think that you would have seen all of them go to the grave for this lie. What would that have gained them to steal and to do this thing together? And plus, you're really telling me that they kind of figured out this game plan really quickly, like in all their surprise and shock that they kind of overwhelmed the Roman guards, moved with stone away, like hid the body, got it all, like, that would make an incredible movie, but that's not what actually happened in real life. So the body was never found. On top of that, it's not like Jesus, after he rose from the grave, that he just kind of hid out in obscurity. In fact, what he did is he, he visited people. He met with people. He ate with people. He had breakfast with his friends. And it says here, if you scan your eyes over in 1 Corinthians 15, Chapter, uh, um, verse six, it says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Jesus was standing in front of a crowd, twice this, three times this. He was standing in front of 500 people alive. And more than that, look what it says. It says that most of them are still alive. So what is being recorded, this story of Jesus being alive was not written centuries after it happened. It's happening, it's being written, it's being spread in the very lifetime of the people who saw it people were able to validate and to say, no, 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 I was there. I saw the risen savior. I saw Jesus Christ alive. And more than that, the followers, everything about their demeanor changed when Jesus rose. These were men of fear and they were hiding out. They were unsure of what to do. Their leader had just been killed in front of them. And yet when Jesus appeared to them, they had a confidence and a faith that was unshakable. Many of them went to their death holding on to this truth. Peter was crucified. Others were stoned. Others were, born, were uh, burned to death. Everything about them, they had such faith bolstered by this risen Savior. And they died for this truth. People are willing to die for a lie they believe is a truth. Nobody dies for a lie they know is a lie. They believed that this was true because they saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. They were there with him. And here's the last proof I would give you is this, is that even his family worshiped him as Lord and Savior. Now, can you just play this out with me for a minute? You all have family, right? You may be getting together with some of them today. I have four brothers, one sister. I promise you this. I have no intention of worshiping any one of them as Lord of my life, okay? I promise you this, my mom has no intention of ever worshiping me as Lord of her life, as God. But that's exactly what Jesus' brothers did. That's exactly what his mom did. The very people that saw him as a toddler that were there with him when he was in grade school, that saw him in high school, that witnessed his ministry, they followed him as Lord. His family worshiped him. I don't know what your family is like, but I promise you, it's not this. It's not happening like this. This is an evidence of what happened. And what I would say to you today is this, is if you still if you doubt the validity of the resurrection, can I just turn the question around to you? I think the burden of proof is really on you. What, burden, what proof would you give that Christ did not raise from the dead? Like, what are you pointing to? What are you holding on to that would say that Jesus did not live, that he is not alive, that he did not raise from the dead? We have so much historical, empirical evidence that shows us that he did. And so our faith is confident in this. The truth that we have recorded here in scripture is that Jesus did in fact raise from the dead. And by eyewitnesses in these historical documents, we know that Jesus walked out of the tomb. We can be sure of it. And the good thing for us is this, is because we can be sure of it, our entire faith rests on it. Do you know that? Like if this one truth was to be proven untrue, if this one claim was to be shown to be false, everything about our faith crumbles immediately. That's why he says, if, our, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we are claiming that he is alive. If he's not alive, everything changes. And here's the thing, I think we want, we desire, we need things to put our trust in. We put our trust in things all the time. But to put your trust in something is to put your full weight of understanding, of confidence in it. I want to illustrate it in this way. My kids are really um, sort of creative in the way that they play in our yard. We don't have a super awesome yard. It's, it's like an okay yard. I'm thankful for our yard. Sorry, I'm not trying to like be down on our yard. Um, it's just we haven't had much time to do much of it since moving here and planting a church and all that. We had a really cool yard down in North Carolina. So um, fortunately, the kids don't really remember that yard. So they think this is awesome. But what they do is they really wanted a swing. And... Um, We've never given them a swing. Uh, there's not really a great spot for a swing. They wanted to prove us otherwise. And so they made their own swing. Have I ever told you about their swing? I can't remember. I was telling this in the first service and I was like, have I ever told this story? I don't think I have. Um, I'm too young of a pastor to like start reusing some of my. I got a long ways to go. So I got I to keep it fresh, okay? So they made their own swing. And to do this, they used a jump rope. Um, not like one of those cheap dollar store jump ropes. I don't know why my kids love the dollar store. They want to go there all the time. And I'm like, they don't even make it home. Like it breaks in the car. Like it breaks getting it out of whatever packaging it's in. So not a dollar store jump rope, like a real jump rope. We brought this really hardy jump rope. Where we're like, this thing's going to last for a while. And so it was really nice and thick. And so they took this jump rope and in this tiny tree in the back of our yard, they tied it around the, the limb. And then we have this kind of bouncy ball, which has a handle that you sort of are supposed to like sit on and kind of bounce. They tied that around this thing. And this is like, incredible. Cause I've never taught them knots. I don't know how they, they got this thing to stay, but they did. And they made their own swing. And the first time they did it, Brie and I were looking out the window. And we're like, this is not going to end well. Right? Like somebody's going to get hurt. This is for sure going to, but we're like, let's see what happens. Right? So we just let it play out. We're like, they'll learn. They'll learn. You got to like figure out knots. You got to learn something sometime. And so we just watched it. And you know what? Lo and behold, this thing supported their weight. They all, one after another, started getting on this thing and just swinging like crazy. We're like, this is not gonna last very long, right? Two years, <laughs> two years this swing lasted. Just like a few weeks ago, it finally bit the dust. I mean, we have not touched this thing. I'd never reinforced it. It's been out there all winter, through rainstorms, through snow, everything. It's been out there just hanging on. And the kids go out there with full confidence and they are swinging on that thing. They're putting their faith, their trust in that thing to hold. And it did until one day when it didn't. And I forget who it was. that I wasn't home when it happened, but I heard about it because there was tears for sure. There was a crash that happened. That thing broke. So here's the thing. We put our trust in all sorts of things. We put our trust in each other. You put your trust in your sense of security that comes from perhaps your job, the paycheck that you're gonna get. We have trust that we're gonna go to the grocery store, there's gonna be food available for us tomorrow. None of us have some backup plan for that in case that doesn't happen. We have trust in all sorts of things. But listen, this is one thing, more than any other thing that our trust, our confidence can be supported by. You see, if this one truth was found to be false, then everything that our faith is hanging on is broken. See, this is the one piece of rope. This is the one piece of string that our faith is hanging on. Is this the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Our faith is in the fact that the tomb is empty. And because we believe that, we know this, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Lord over all things, and that he is powerful and sufficient to do what he says he will do. This is where we put the full weight of our trust on. And we need things that we can trust in, and this is one of them. Listen, church, because Jesus has been raised, our faith is unshakable. It is supporting on something unlike that Rickety swing, it will never break. This truth will never be proven false. We don't need just something we can trust in, but we need someone we can trust in. Listen, Jesus is someone who you can put your trust in. He will never leave you nor forsake you, He will never grow tired or weary of you. He will never give up on you or abandon you. He is always there. He is always working. He is always loving because he is always the God who he says he is. This is our Lord. This is our savior. This is Jesus. You need something that you can put your faith on, that you can rest on. And to be sure, this is real. This is sure It is steadfast. Our faith is unshakable because that tomb is empty. This is what happened when Jesus was raised from the grave. The second thing, let me encourage you to write this down. Because Christ has been raised, our sin is forgiven. Because Christ has been raised, our sin is forgiven. Let's continue in verse 16. It says this, for if the the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sin. You have no hope for the sin in your life. But this is the truth, church. Our confidence is this, that Christ has been raised, so therefore we can have the forgiveness of sins. This is what we talked all about on Friday. Many of you were here in this room or joining us online, and we looked at the cross of Christ. The cross is this. Jesus went to the cross to be our substitutionary atonement. He he died in our place. He died for us and for our sin. He paid the penalty of sin on our behalf. His blood purchased in full what you and I were never gonna be able to do on our own. And listen, it's not enough to just believe that he died, but you also have to know that the resurrection, his resurrection, that matters too. Not just Christ's death, but the resurrection. Romans 4.25 says it this way, he who was delivered up for our transgressions, right? He died for our transgressions. He's also been raised for our justification, His raising proves that we were justified in that death. His death paid the penalty and purchased our forgiveness. That resurrection shows that the payment was credited to our account. Since it was complete, since the justification was so sure, God raised Jesus from the dead to validate our forgiveness. And in doing so, he proved his son's righteousness and he put on full display for the world to see the work of justification to the praise of God. See, his resurrection shows that the payment was accepted. Have you ever had uh, this unfortunate experience happen in your life? Um, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but have you ever had like a payment method declined when you're at a store a restaurant or something? If you're shopping at like for some clothes or something, it's less of a deal, um, if you're at a restaurant, that's when it's kind of rough. If you've just eaten a meal and you go to pay for it and you don't have a way of paying for it, um, yeah, that's when it kind of gets, gets rough. I had to borrow money from my kids before. I've had that happen. That's when you know you've reached a new low when I'm borrowing like money from my 12-year-old. I'm like, you just babysat, right? Can you, can you spot dad some, some, some cash? Well, I had this happen not too long ago. I was at Woodman's and uh, if you know Woodman's, you know that they don't take most um, credit cards. They, they take debit and they take MasterCard. I don't have a MasterCard. And so I went to use my debit card. And my debit card, um, that expiration, that matters. And uh, the date that I was there at the store trying to use my debit card was after the date that that card said. And they're like pretty sure on that. There's not wiggle room um, on that. And uh, at that moment, I remembered, I was like, oh, yeah, I got an envelope from the bank and I think it had a new card in it. And I couldn't remember the good reason why I didn't take it out of the envelope, You know, call the little number, take the sticker off and put it in my wallet immediately. I'm sure I had some good reason for not doing it, but at that moment I couldn't remember what that good reason was. And so there I am at Woodman's, I've got an entire cart full of groceries. There's seven of us at home, okay? Those of you who don't know, I've got five kids, like we go through some food in the Jacobson house. Dad's leading the way, but there are other kids, they're helping, okay? So it's just a good excuse, right? And so I'm there with a full cart of groceries, and we've got all the frozen stuff too. We got ice cream. And I'm looking at the guy, and I'm like, he's like, well, do you have anything else? And I like pull up my wallet. I never have cash. I'm always like low on cash, hence why I'm asking my children for cash. And and so I have nothing. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to like either we put this all back, or he's like, well, I'll tell you what, if you can go get something, I'll just, I'll, I'll, put it in the freezer, put it in the fridge for you, and we'll, we'll hang on to it for a little bit. So I raced home, got a different card, or got some cash, scrounged some stuff up, probably borrowed again from my kids, and, and then drove back and then was able to pay for it. But that's an unfortunate event if you've ever experienced that. When you're not able, your payment method does not go through. See, the thing that I love about this picture is this. You know that little, like when you slide the card in and it sort of shows like payment processing? Um, sometimes I do get a little nervous. I'm like, is that actually gonna go through? Especially when I use one of those Visa gift cards, I'm terrible at keeping track of how many, you know, someone gives me one of those and, and I can never remember. Is there 50 cents or $50? I don't know. I think I haven't used it. I always think there's $50 um, and there's not. Um, and so, you know, I'm waiting to see if that thing is actually gonna be accepted. And that's sort of what that time between the death and Jesus' resurrection was, is was the payment good enough? Was it accepted did that payment process. And here's the truth that the resurrection shows is this. It shows that Christ's payment for the penalty of our sin, the eternal weight of God's wrath being put on Jesus, that was accepted by God the Father. When he walked out of the grave, that showed that he had purchased our forgiveness. And this is the greatest truth. You and I need this. You may not think about this being the greatest need in your life, but listen, your heart longs for this. You need to know that you are forgiven. Your sins is the greatest problem, the greatest issue, the greatest warning light that's flashing on your dashboard is your sinful state. We need a savior. We need forgiveness from our sins. Jesus made this super clear to one man. If you remember the story There's a man that could not walk and the first thing that Jesus did, he did not heal his legs. He actually said to the man, he says, your sins are forgiven. Then he told him to get up and walk. And in doing so, he proved that he was able to forgive sins. Everybody in this room, everybody joining us online this morning, your greatest need in your life is the forgiveness of your sins. What are you doing to get that done? How are you trying to get your sins forgiven? And let me just be super clear. If your answer to that question is anything but trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross, whatever method you are trying to do is going to come up short. Payment declined. It's not gonna go through. It's not gonna work. Nothing you do can do it. And what I think we also need to know is that when Jesus, when we say that Jesus Raised to life shows the penalty and payment of our sins, that, that, that our sins have been forgiven. We're talking about actual sins. I think sometimes we miss this and we think that Jesus died for sort of the theoretical concept of sin in our life. He didn't just die for the concept of sin in life. He died for the actual things that you did Can we just replay like just even the last week in your mind, can you think back? How many times, just just take the big 10, the 10 commandments. How many times have you broken the 10 commandments? They are this, we're to have no other gods before God. We're to not worship any false gods. You maybe haven't bowed to an idol, but have you put anything in importance in your heart above God? We're never to take the name of God in vain. We're to keep the Sabbath day holy. We're to honor our mother and our father. It says that we're not to murder I don't think you've murdered anyone this week, but Jesus said, "If you look at your brother, think of your brother with anger, it is as if you have murder, committed murder in your heart." It says, "Do not commit adultery." Jesus also said, "If you look at someone with a lustful thought, it is as if you have committed adultery with them in your heart." It says, "You shall not steal; you shall not take anything that doesn't belong to you. You shall not lie." Have we stretched the truth? Have we lied? It says that you shall not want what belongs to others. Listen, even in these 10, who among us could raise our hand and say, I have been perfect in just these? Only in the last week, only in the last month, how many times have we fallen short just in these things? And there's many, many more. Listen, that harsh word spoken, that lustful thought given, that unchecked moment of anger toward another, that selfish desire to put your wants against the decrees of God, Jesus died for those things. He died for the actual sin that you've committed. How amazing is God's grace for us? I mean, think about it. The things that you and I choose are the things that Jesus went to the cross for. Our sins are forgiven. And that came at the, penalty that came at the price of his life, his death, and he's forgiven us through his resurrection. We need to confess and we need to believe that we are forgiven in the power of Christ Jesus and only by the power of Christ Jesus. And here's the last truth. It says this, because Christ has been raised, our future is secure. Our future is secure. See, we long to live forever forever and to know that we're gonna do so in joy, that's something that I think is present in the heart of every man and woman. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has put eternity in the heart of every man. We wanna know that there is more than this life has to offer, right? We wanna know that after this life is over, that it doesn't just end. We wanna know that the, the life that awaits us is not in a separation or a damnation from our heavenly Father. We want to know what comes next. Listen, because Christ has been raised, our future is secure. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us that confidence. Listen, this year, as a world, we have faced death in a way that we have not faced in our lifetime. It has been put front and center on our attention, and we've been looking at this, and here's the truth of the matter, is we are still kind of walking this out. Hopefully, we're coming to the end here, but the truth is this. If we wash our hands, and we wear face masks and we distance from each other and we get that vaccine, death is still coming for every single one of us. We might extend it another year, another 10 years, another 30 years, whatever it might be, but death is still coming. My question for you is what confidence do you have in the life yet to come? What are you holding onto? Where is your future resting? Is it on your own ability to achieve? Is it on the good things that you've tried to scrape together and accumulate? Listen, church, our future is secure in the empty tomb of Christ Jesus. When he walked out of the grave, that is true. It says right here, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ is not raised from the dead, if in Christ we have Hope in this life only. We are of all people to be most pitied. The world can feel sorry for us because there is no life after this. But, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is the truth. And we can have a confidence in this. Those who have died before us in faith, they have not perished because Christ is alive. The good news of the resurrection tells us that if anyone dies in Christ Jesus, they are alive and they will live forever in eternity with him. Now in saying all of this, I would just say that it's not enough just to know. James says that even the demons know and they believe but we have to receive that free gift, which is life held out by our Heavenly Father. Today, you need to choose to respond to what Christ has done, and I wanna give you the chance to do that today. We wanna ask you, I wanna ask you a question, and the answer to it is the most important decision that you've ever made. My question is this, is what are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? What are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? This is what scripture would call us to it's to acknowledge that we are a sinner, to acknowledge that you have sinned before a holy God, and to believe that Christ Jesus has died on your behalf, and to confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. It's that simple. Acknowledge you're a sinner believe that Jesus died on your behalf and confess him as Lord and Savior. In doing so, you believe that he and he alone has the power to forgive your sins based on the work of Jesus on the cross. And I just wanna say this, that today could be a very special moment for some of you. Today could be the day that you respond for the very first time to the work of Jesus Christ in your life. And if it is, if ever I've been talking, you feel the spirit of God burning in your heart, you know for a fact that this is true. You know the method by which you've been trying to achieve salvation, to achieve forgiveness of sins, to reconcile yourself before God. It's not working. I promise you this, that God wants you to hear these words today. Whatever reason it was that you walked in these doors, whatever reason it was that you logged on today, God wants you to hear this truth that he loves the world and he gave his son to die for you, that you might have life eternal. And I would just ask that you would do this. If this is you, if you know that you need to respond to the free gift that God holds out for you, that you would mark it by some words this morning. It doesn't have to be these words, but I think we can use words to sort of put feet to what God is doing in our heart. And the words would go something like this. I believe that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you right now, I receive you as my savior. Jesus, right now, I receive the gift of salvation that you are holding out to me, that you purchased through your blood and you've guaranteed through your resurrection. And Jesus, I surrender right now to you as Lord. And from this point forward, I want to follow you whatever that means, whatever that means. And some of you, I believe in faith, and some of you, you said those words and meant it for the very first time in your life. Can I ask you to do one more thing if that's you today? Can you take one more step? I don't wanna let this moment pass. We wanna celebrate with you in that decision. That's the most important decision you've ever made, and it just alters your entire eternity. We wanna help you take your next steps. And so would you do this? Would you tell someone today that you did that, that you prayed that prayer? One of the ways that you can tell someone, you can tell us. I'm gonna put a number and a phrase here. You can text ready to follow to 97000, 97000. Text ready to follow if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. The reason I would ask you to do that is because we wanna walk with you. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna help you. Begin this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the best decision you could ever make. And many of us, even now, as I'm saying this, you've responded in the past. Maybe that was recently, maybe that was a long time ago, but you remember the moment that you passed from death to life when you knew Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. How good it is, right? How good it is that Jesus would save us in that way. That's what we're gathered here to do. We wanna rejoice in that. We wanna rejoice in the empty tomb, which has saved us. And so we are responding to that. Let me pray. God, thank you for the work that you've done on our behalf. God, thank you for saving us. God, you are our Lord and Savior. You and you alone are able to save. And so we put our faith, we put our confidence, we put our trust in you. Lord, would you work in our hearts Even today, remind us of this truth. God, remind us of the work that you have done. Remind us of the empty grave and what it means for our life today. Jesus, we worship you here in this place. You are our hope. We put our confidence in you. It's in your name that we pray these things and all the church said, amen.